Section three of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume One by James Boswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. After my death, I wish no other herald, no other speaker of my living actions to keep mine honour from corruption, but such an honest chronicler as Griffith. Shakespeare, Henry the Eighth, Act Four, Scene Two, Footnote. See Dr. Johnson's letter to Mrs. Thrale, dated Ostick in Sky, September 30, 1773. Boswell writes a regular journal of our travels, which I think contains as much of what I say and do as of all other occurrences together. For such a faithful chronicler is Griffith. Boswell. See Piozzi Letters, Volume 1, Number 159, where, however, we read as Griffith. End of footnote. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Doctor of Laws. To write the life of him who excelled all mankind in writing the lives of others, and who, whether we consider his extraordinary endowments or his various works, has been equalled by few in any age, is an arduous and may be reckoned in me a presumptuous task had dr johnson written his own life in conformity with the opinion which he has given footnote idler number eighty four boswell in this paper he says those relations are commonly of most value in which the writer tells his own story he that recounts the life of another lessens the familiarity of his tale to increase its dignity and endeavours to hide the man that he may produce a hero End of footnote. that every man's life may be best written by himself had he employed in the preservation of his own history that clearness of narration and elegance of language in which he has embalmed so many eminent persons the world would probably have had the most perfect example of biography that was ever exhibited but although he at different times in a desultory manner committed to writing many particulars of the progress of his mind and fortunes he never had persevering diligence enough to form them into a regular composition footnote it very seldom happens to man that his business is his pleasure what is done from necessity is so often to be done when against the present inclination and so often fills the mind with anxiety that an habitual dislike steals upon us and we shrink involuntarily from the remembrance of our task from this unwillingness to perform more than is required of that which is commonly performed with reluctance it proceeds that few authors write their own lives idler number one o two end of footnote of these memorials a few have been preserved but the greater part was consigned by him to the flames a few days before his death the author's qualifications as i had the honour and happiness of enjoying his friendship for upwards of twenty years as i had the scheme of writing his life constantly in view as he was well apprised of this circumstance 
footnote mrs piozzi records the following conversation with johnson which she says took place on july the eighteenth seventeen seventy three and who will be my biographer said he do you think goldsmith no doubt replied i and he will do it the best among us the dog will write it best to be sure replied he but his particular malice towards me and general disregard for truth would make the book useless to all and injurious to my character oh as to that said i we should all fasten upon him and force him to do you justice but the worst is the doctor does not know your life nor can i tell indeed who does except dr taylor of ashbourne my tailor said he is better acquainted with my heart than any man or woman now alive and the history of my oxford exploits lies all between him and adams but dr james knows my very early days better than he after my coming to london to drive the world about a little you must all go to jack hawksworth for anecdotes i lived in great familiarity with him though i think there was not much affection from the year seventeen fifty three till the time mr thrale and you took me up i intend however to disappoint the rogues and either make you write the life with taylor's intelligence or which is better do it myself after outliving you all i am now added he keeping a diary in hopes of using it for that purpose some time piozzi anecdotes page thirty one how much of this is true cannot be known boswell some time before this conversation had told johnson that he intended to write his life and johnson had given him many particulars he read moreover in manuscript most of boswell's tour to the hebrides and from it learnt of his intention it is no small satisfaction to me to reflect boswell wrote that dr johnson after being apprised of my intentions communicated to me at subsequent periods many particulars of his life boswell's hebrides october the fourteenth seventeen seventy three end of footnote and from time to time obligingly satisfied my inquiries by communicating to me the incidents of his early years as i acquired a facility in recollecting and was very assiduous in recording his conversation of which the extraordinary vigour and vivacity constituted one of the first features of his character and as i have spared no pains in obtaining materials concerning him from every quarter where i could discover that they were to be found and have been favoured with the most liberal communications by his friends i flatter myself that few biographers have entered upon such a work as this with more advantages independent of literary abilities in which i am not vain enough to compare myself with some great names who have gone before me in this kind of writing the life by sir john hawkins since my work was announced several lives and memoirs of dr johnson have been published Footnote. it may be said that the death of dr johnson kept the public mind in agitation beyond all former example no literary character ever excited so much attention murphy's johnson page three end of footnote
the most voluminous of which is one compiled for the booksellers of london by sir john hawkins knight Footnote. the greatest part of this book was written while sir john hawkins was alive and i avow that one object of my strictures was to make him feel some compunction for his illiberal treatment of dr johnson since his decease i have suppressed several of my remarks upon his work but though i would not war with the dead offensively i think it necessary to be strenuous in defence of my illustrious friend which i cannot be without strong animadversions upon a writer who has greatly injured him let me add that though i doubt i should not have been very prompt to gratify sir john hawkins with any compliment in his lifetime i do now frankly acknowledge that in my opinion his volume however inadequate and improper as a life of dr johnson and however discredited by unpardonable inaccuracies in other respects contains a collection of curious anecdotes and observations which few men but its author could have brought together boswell End of footnote. a man whom during my long intimacy with dr johnson i never saw in his company i think but once and i am sure not above twice johnson might have esteemed him for his decent religious demeanour and his knowledge of books and literary history but from the rigid formality of his manners it is evident that they never could have lived together with companionable ease and familiarity footnote the next name that was started was that of sir john hawkins and mrs thrale said why now dr johnson here's another of those whom you suffer nobody to abuse but yourself garrick is one too for if any other person speaks against him you browbeat him in a minute my madam answered he they don't know when to abuse him and when to praise him i will allow no man to speak ill of david that he does not deserve and as to sir john why really i believe him to be an honest man at the bottom but to be sure he is penurious and he is mean and it must be owned he has a degree of brutality and a tendency to savageness that cannot easily be defended he said that sir john and he once belonged to the same club but that as he ate no supper after the first night of his admission he desired to be excused paying his share and was he excused oh yes for no man is angry at another for being inferior to himself we all scorned him and admitted his plea for my part i was such a fool as to pay my share for wine though i never tasted any but sir john was a most unclubbable man madame d'arblay's diary volume one page sixty five into footnote nor had sir john hawkins that nice perception which was necessary to mark the finer and less obvious parts of johnson's character his being appointed one of his executors gave him an opportunity of taking possession of such fragments of a diary and other papers as were left of which before delivering them up to the residuary legatee whose property they were he endeavoured to extract 
the substance. In this he has not been very successful, as I have found upon perusal of those papers, which have been since transferred to me. Sir John Hawkins' ponderous labours, I must acknowledge, exhibit a farrago, of which a considerable portion is not devoid of entertainment to the lovers of literary gossiping, but besides its being swelled out with long unnecessary extracts from various works, even once of several leaves from Osborne's Harleian catalogue, and those not compiled by Johnson, but by Aldis and a very small part of it relates to the person who is the subject of the book, and in that there is such an inaccuracy in the statement of facts, as in so solemn an author is hardly excusable, and certainly makes his narrative very unsatisfactory. But what is still worse, there is throughout the whole of it a dark, uncharitable cast, by which the most unfavourable construction is put upon almost every circumstance in the character and conduct of my illustrious friend. Footnote. In censuring Mr. J. Hawkins's book, I say, there is throughout the whole of it a dark, uncharitable cast which puts the most unfavourable construction on my illustrious friend's conduct. Malone maintains cast will not do he will have malignancy is that not too strong how would disposition do hawkins is no doubt very malevolent observe how he talks of me as quite unknown letters of boswell page two eight one malone wrote of hawkins as follows the bishop bishop percy of dromore concurred with every other person I have heard speak of Hawkins in saying that he was a most detestable fellow. He was the son of a carpenter and set out in life in the very lowest line of the law. Dyer knew him well at one time, and the bishop heard him give a character of Hawkins once that painted him in the blackest colours, though Dyer was by no means apt to deal in such portraits. Dyer said he was a man of the most mischievous, uncharitable, and malignant disposition. Sir Joshua Reynolds observed to me that Hawkins, though he assumed great outward sanctity, was not only mean and grovelling in disposition, but absolutely dishonest. He never lived in any real intimacy with Dr. Johnson, who never opened his heart to him, or had, in fact, any accurate knowledge of his character. Priors, Malone. End of footnote. Who, I trust, will by a true and fair delineation be vindicated both from the injurious misrepresentations of this author and from the slighter aspersions of a lady who once lived in great intimacy with him. Footnote, Mrs. Piozzi. End of footnote. Warburton's view of biography. There is in the British Museum a letter from Bishop Warburton to Dr. Birch on the subject of biography, which, though I am aware it may expose me to a charge of artfully raising the value of my own work by contrasting it with that of which I have spoken, is so well conceived and expressed that I cannot refrain from here inserting it. 
i shall endeavour says dr warburton to give you what satisfaction i can in anything you want to be satisfied in any subject of milton and am extremely glad you intend to write his life almost all the life writers we have had before tolland and demesot voltaire in his account of bale says demesot a écrit sa vie en gros volume and the devait par contenir six pages voltaire's works edition of eighteen nineteen and a footnote are indeed strange insipid creatures and yet i had rather read the worst of them than be obliged to go through with this of milton's or the other's life of boileau where there is such a dull heavy succession of long quotations of disinteresting passages that it makes their method quite nauseous but the verbose tasteless frenchman seems to lay it down as a principle that every life must be a book and what's worse it proves a book without a life for what do we know of boileau after all his tedious stuff you are the only one and i speak it without a compliment that by the vigour of your style and sentiments and the real importance of your materials have the art which one would imagine no one could have missed of adding agreements to the most agreeable subject in the world which is literary history november the twenty fourth seventeen thirty nine footnote british museum four three two o askew's catalogue slow manuscripts boswell horace walpole describes birch as a worthy good-natured soul full of industry and activity and running about like a young setting dog in quest of anything new or old and with no parts taste or judgment End of footnote. the author's mode of procedure not a panegyric but a life instead of melting down my materials into one mass and constantly speaking in my own person by which i might have appeared to have more merit in the execution of the work i have resolved to adopt and enlarge upon the excellent plan of mr mason in his memoirs of gray Footnote. you have fixed the method of biography and whoever will write a life well must imitate you horace walpole to mason End of footnote wherever narrative is necessary to explain connect and supply i furnish it to the best of my abilities but in the chronological series of johnson's life which i trace as distinctly as i can year by year i produce wherever it is in my power his own minutes letters or conversation being convinced that this mode is more lively and will make my readers better acquainted with him than even most of those who actually knew him but could know him only partially whereas there is here an accumulation of intelligence from various points by which his character is more fully understood and illustrated footnote i am absolutely certain that my mode of biography which gives not only a history of johnson's visible progress through the world and of his publications but a view of his mind in his letters and conversations is the most perfect that can be conceived and will be more of a life than any work that has ever yet appeared 
Letters of Boswell, page 265. Indeed, I cannot conceive a more perfect mode of writing any man's life than not only relating all the most important events of it in their order, but interweaving what he privately wrote and said and thought, by which mankind are enabled, as it were, to see him live, and to live o'er each scene with him, as he actually advanced through the several stages of his life. Footnote, Pope's prologue to Addison's Cato in the footnote. Had his other friends been as diligent and ardent as I was, he might have been almost entirely preserved. As it is, I will venture to say that he will be seen in this work more completely than any man who has ever yet lived. Footnote. Boswell is the first of biographers. He has distanced all his competitors so decidedly that it is not worth while to place them. Eclipse is first, and the rest nowhere. Macaulay's Essays, end of footnote. And he will be seen as he really was, for I profess to write not his panegyric, which must be all praise, but his life, which, great and good as he was, must not be supposed to be entirely perfect. To be as he was is indeed subject of panegyric enough to any man in this state of being. But in every picture there shall be shade as well as light, and when I delineate him without reserve, I do what he himself recommended, both by his precept and his example. Footnote. Hannah Moore met Boswell when he was carrying through the press his journal of a tour to the Hebrides. Boswell tells me, she writes, he is printing anecdotes of Johnson, not his life, but, as he has the vanity to call it, his pyramid. I besought his tenderness for our virtuous and most revered departed friend, and begged he would mitigate some of his asperities. He said roughly, he would not cut off his claws, nor make a tiger a cat to please anybody. It will, I doubt not, be a very amusing book, but I hope not an indiscreet one. He has great enthusiasm and some fire. Hannah Moore's Memoirs, end of footnote. Conversation best displays character. If the biographer writes from personal knowledge and makes haste to gratify the public curiosity, there is danger lest his interest, his fear, his gratitude, or his tenderness overpower his fidelity and tempt him to conceal, if not to invent. There are many who think it an act of piety to hide the faults or failings of their friends, even when they can no longer suffer by their detection. We therefore see whole ranks of characters adorned with uniform panegyric and not to be known from one another but by extrinsic and casual circumstances. Let me remember, says Hale, when I find myself inclined to pity a criminal, that there is likewise a pity due to the country. If we are regard to the memory of the dead, there is yet more respect to be paid to knowledge, to virtue, and to truth. Footnote. Rambler, number 60, Boswell, end of footnote. 
what i consider as the peculiar value of the following work is the quantity it contains of johnson's conversation which is universally acknowledged to have been eminently instructive and entertaining and of which the specimens that i have given upon a former occasion footnote in the journal of a tour to the hebrides end of footnote have been received with so much approbation that i have good grounds for supposing that the world will not be indifferent to more ample communications of a similar nature that the conversation of a celebrated man if his talents have been exerted in conversation will best display his character is i trust too well established in the judgment of mankind to be at all shaken by a sneering observation of mr mason in his memoirs of mr william whitehead in which there is literally no life but a mere dry narrative of facts footnote mason's life of gray is excellent because it is interspersed with letters which show us the man his life of whitehead is not a life at all for there is neither a letter nor a saying from first to last letters of boswell and a footnote i do not think it was quite necessary to attempt a depreciation of what is universally esteemed because it was not to be found in the immediate object of the ingenious writer's pen for in truth from a man so still and so tame as to be contented to pass many years as the domestic companion of a superannuated lord and lady footnote, the earl and countess of jersey right end of footnote conversation could no more be expected than from a chinese mandarin on a chimney-piece or the fantastic figures on a gilt leather screen dr johnson on biography if authority be required let us appeal to plutarch the prince of ancient biographers Uta tais epifanesta tais sesi pantos enesti delosus aretes he caceas ala pragma bracu palakis caerema caipadia tis emphalten aetus epoisen malon e magiae murione croi cae parataxais hae megestae cae poliochiae polemon nor is it always in the most distinguished achievements that men's virtues or vices may be best discerned but very often an action of small note a short saying or a jest shall distinguish a person's real character more than the greatest sieges or the most important battles footnote plutarch's life of alexander langhorne's translation boswell end of footnote to this may be added the sentiments of the very man whose life i am about to exhibit the business of the biographer is often to pass slightly over those performances and incidents which produce vulgar greatness to lead the thoughts into domestic privacies and display the minute details of daily life where exterior appendages are cast aside and men excel each other only by prudence and virtue the account of tornus is with great propriety said by its author to have been written that it might lay open to posterity the private and familiar character of that man curius ingenium et candorum ex ipsius scriptis sunt olim semper miraturi 
whose candour and genius will to the end of time be by his writings preserved in admiration there are many invisible circumstances which whether we read as inquirers after natural or moral knowledge whether we intend to enlarge our science or increase our virtue are more important than public occurrences thus sallust the great master of nature has not forgotten his account of catiline to remark that his walk was now quick and again slow as an indication of a mind revolving with violent commotion footnote in the original revolving something end of footnote thus the story of melanchthon affords a striking lecture on the value of time by informing us that when he had made an appointment he expected not only the hour but the minute to be fixed that the day might not run out in the idleness of suspense and all the plans and enterprises of de witt are now of less importance to the world than that part of his personal character which represents him as careful of his health and negligent of his life but biography has often been allotted to writers who seem very little acquainted with the nature of their task or very negligent about the performance they rarely afford any other account than might be collected from public papers but imagine themselves writing a life when they exhibit a chronological series of actions or preferments and have so little regard to the manners footnote in the original and so little regard the manners end of footnote or behaviour of their heroes that more knowledge may be gained of a man's real character by a short conversation with one of his servants than from a formal and studied narrative begun with his pedigree and ended with his funeral reply to possible objections there are indeed some natural reasons why these narratives are often written by such as were not likely to give much instruction or delight and why most accounts of particular persons are barren and useless if a life be delayed till interest and envy are at an end we may hope for impartiality but must expect little intelligence for the incidents which give excellence to biography are of a volatile and evanescent kind such as soon escape the memory and are transmitted by tradition footnote in the original and are rarely transmitted end of footnote we know how few can portray a living acquaintance except by his most prominent and observable particularities and the grosser features of his mind and it may be easily imagined how much of this little knowledge may be lost in imparting it and how soon a succession of copies will lose all resemblance to the original footnote rambler number sixty boswell end of footnote i am fully aware of the objections which may be made to the minuteness on some occasions of my detail of johnson's conversation and how happily it is adapted for the petty exercise of ridicule by men of superficial understanding and ludicrous fancy but i remain firm and confident in my opinion that minute particulars are frequently characteristic and always amusing when they relate to a distinguished man 
i am therefore exceedingly unwilling that anything however slight which my illustrious friend thought it worth his while to express with any degree of point should perish for this almost superstitious reverence i have found very old and venerable authority quoted by our great modern prelate secker in whose tenth sermon there is the following passage rabbi david kimchi a noted jewish commentator who lived about five hundred years ago explains that passage in the first psalm his leaf also shall not wither from rabbins yet older than himself thus that even the idle talk so he expresses it of a good man ought to be regarded the most superfluous things he said are always of some value and other ancient authors have the same phrase nearly in the same sense johnson's birth and baptism anno domini seventeen o nine of one thing i am certain that considering how highly the small portion which we have of the table talk and other anecdotes of our celebrated writers is valued and how earnestly it is regretted that we have not more i am justified in preserving rather too many of johnson's sayings than too few especially as from the diversity of dispositions it cannot be known with certainty beforehand whether what may seem trifling to some and perhaps to the collector himself may not be most agreeable to many and the greater number that an author can please in any degree the more pleasure does there arise to a benevolent mind to those who are weak enough to think this a degrading task and the time and labour which have been devoted to it misemployed i shall content myself with opposing the authority of the greatest man of any age julius caesar of whom bacon observes that in his book of apothegms which he collected we see that he esteemed it more honour to make himself but a pair of tables to take the wise and pithy words of others than to have every word of his own to be made an apothegm or an oracle footnote bacon's advancement of learning book one boswell end footnote having said thus much by way of introduction i commit the following pages to the candour of the public end of section three